0: Realizing, one, that I had the opportunity to make choices and make changes was huge. And I think the second part of it really was that those changes didn't have to be massive.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to Her Money Club Stories. My name is Rachelle Minnie. I am the founder of Her Money Club. The intention for these beautiful discussions is to collect women's stories of how they've overcome various challenges related to money and life and the journey that unfolds. In her Money Club, we talk a lot about aligning money strategy and life purpose to create a thriving life, and that is a process. As a journey, I want to collect all of these different pieces and stories along the way to allow us to really expand to more of what's possible, no matter where we are at on that adventure. With us today, we have Erica. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for I would love. Me. You're welcome. I would love for you to share a little bit about what you do, where you live and, and anything that you feel is important. As far as what I, I do
0: in my background, it's it's a little bit of a journey and I'll, I'll mention it quickly. So I have three semesters of a nursing degree, one semester of a business degree, and I, I ended up with a degree in actuarial mathematics <laughs> and a minor in economics. And now I work in IT. As with anything in life, it's been a bit of a journey. In my current role, I manage uh, essentially the end-to-end implementation of my company's global uh, ticketing system which includes driving the overall adoption strategy, implementation of new teams and processes, planning and execution of initiatives. Uh, I do all the development the testing and the the end user support and training so it keeps me busy to say the least. I grew up in Somerville South Carolina which is just outside of Charleston. I was living in the New York City Stanford area, For about four and a half years, and about a year ago, um, I made a a pandemic move uh, to Greenville, South Carolina, where I am currently. I'm not married, uh, no active prospects. Uh, I love kids, but I've recently owned and acknowledged the fact that I am not mother material. So it's unlikely I'll have children of my own, but that certainly opens up possibilities for other things. So absolutely.
1: Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. I would love to kind of dig into, because you mentioned a few different pieces and I imagine that as you kind of went about your journey, there were dreams that kind of birthed from, you know, whether it was nursing or this or that. So I'm curious to know maybe some pivotal moments around how you made decisions when transitioning kind of your dream. And I don't know if IT was your dream or is your dream or it's changing, but I would love to hear more about that. I, I think the answer to
0: that question kind of ties into the concept of like what that money obstacle was for me. It is what it is, but it's, it's almost a little disheartening now, knowing what I know, uh, to say that I think a large part of my 20s was really just about making passive decisions that got me from A to B. I picked nursing on a whim. Uh, it wasn't anything I necessarily planned to do. My mother even like sent me into a hospital with a friend of hers who was a nurse and was like, we're going to make sure that this, this is, you know, what you want really just pick business because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured I could do something with that. And then actually ended up in actuarial mathematics because I had a professor who kind of encouraged me to do so. She was my professor for the business calc class and just kind of mentioned, hey, you did really well here. You should consider this. The IT move, uh, I graduated from college in 2009, which we all know wasn't like a fantastic time for employment. And I took an internship with a company local to Charleston that did mathematics software. And so I worked with uh, college professors on the implementation and the training of that software for their students. And it more or less just kind of went from there. I made an active move out of that first job. Uh, The next two jobs that I took, including the one that I currently have now, more or less offers from the companies I was working with at the time. I didn't actively choose to move to New York City. It was a fantastic opportunity put in front of me, but it wasn't necessarily an active choice that I made. It was really just a choice that was presented to me. And in my mind, no one would turn this down. Why should I? And so I kind of took it as what it was and it's worked out or it it did work out, I guess, kind of from there, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is fascinating because I love um, diving into people's strategies around how they make Mm -hmm. decisions, whether that's with money or with life, or it's usually some combination of the two. So maybe if you could break down the last transition um, for the latest offer that you had, how you decided that that was going to, like, that was a good idea. Like, was it the money? Was it the people? Like, what are, what are kind of some of the criteria things that you looked at?
0: So it's, it's a kind of a funny story. Uh, The woman that I was working with at the time was the person that became my manager when I joined the company that I'm with now. We worked in a, I was kind of her vendor contact. She was the customer for about two years. And she said, you know, hey we've got this position open. I want you to have it, but it's in New York city. And I literally said to her, you're crazy. I live in South Carolina. I'm not moving to New York city. (laughs) And I said, but I'll think about it. And when I circled back to her, my actual response was, so I've talked to my mom about this. Mm. And it was my mom who just said to me, listen, this might sound scary, but Girl, do it! Like mm-hmm. this is an opportunity that you don't pass up. And guess what? If you hate it, come home. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like there's there's no loss, I guess, mm-hmm. in, involved in making a decision that big. Uh, and so you know, take it because you don't really know what that next step could be, given that, you know, at the time you didn't even know that this step was kind of coming your way. So it was mom, Um, you know, the money aspect too, uh, wasn't a driver, which is odd because of course, moving from South Carolina to New York, it's a huge cost of living difference. And so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the, the money that I was offered to take the job in New York City was appropriate for, you know, where I would be living. But compared to the numbers that I knew in South Carolina felt like this, you know, massive amount of, of money that was kind of coming my way. But you learn quickly, you know, that the the money changes, but the lifestyle tends to just kind of carry through, I guess, my mom um, and just kind of the, the encouragement from her side to take that last move yeah. um, career wise.
1: Yeah. And to know like you're not going to get stuck, like you have power, the control to make new choices if you decide, hey, not for you. So right. Exactly, That's that's really good because I think a lot of women in our community do like get kind of stuck in the decision-making process or don't really know how to transition and say yes to like amazing opportunities that come their way, but then also recognize that you can pivot and change that narrative too, if you change your mind or or anything like that. And the same thing along kind of the money trajectory, I'm curious to know if there's any like any point in time where you had one big decision from past money decisions that Mm -hmm. maybe changed the trajectory of where you went in life or, um, and maybe money doesn't play that role. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of what I'm curious about.
0: Well, so when I think about the biggest financial obstacle I've had to overcome, it's it's quite honestly, it's not transactional. You know, I've not been in a situation where I've had a lot of like student loan debt and credit card debt I had to pay off. I haven't necessarily had to do a lot of like credit repair work. I've had student loans. I've had credit card debt. I've done it. But I think ultimately, you know, the biggest money obstacle that I've been faced with has been really with overcoming my limiting beliefs relative to my financial success. I feel like there are probably two big ones. Socially, I grew up in the South and I just assumed I was going to get married and that my financial Mm -hmm. journey was going to be a shared one. If I'm being completely honest, I probably also just assumed that whoever I married was going to manage those finances for us. And so now I'm 35. (laughs) Single, things have taken a little bit of a different direction, which is fine. Um, But because I kind of had that belief, it wasn't damaging in terms of like having me make decisions that weren't good, but it certainly was holding me back from making decisions that could have made things better. Economically speaking, you know, I grew up a single mom, put herself through school, worked two or three jobs, raised uh, my sister and me. Um, I didn't know until I was an adult that, you know, we were right on the line of, you know, being at that like poverty level, uh, which is a huge testament to my mother and her strength and her ability because I didn't grow up knowing that's where we, where we kind of sat, um, you know, but growing up in that, I think middle-class mindset really just kind of had me focused on the notion that, listen, you're going to, you're going to go to college. You're going to get a job. You're going to work hard. You're going to be okay. You know, you'll retire. You'll probably always have enough. You're not going to have this extravagant lifestyle and that's okay. Right. But really just kind of pushing past that notion right, has been, I think, the biggest money win, if you will. When I bought the house here in Greenville, um, it was actually my, it's, it's the third house that I own. Um, I had a house in Charleston that I bought because I didn't want to pay rent. And then when I moved to New York City as my, you know, emergency option, I kept it and rented it out. After a year in New York, um, paying rent there, I bought my second house in Stanford. Again, same concept, you know, it wasn't I wasn't actively making money moves. I was just making financially feasible, responsible choices, mortgage better than rent. So I bought that house, continued to rent out Charleston. And then when I moved to Greenville, the confidence of renting out Charleston gave me the confidence to not sell Stanford uh, when I moved to Greenville. And when I landed here, I was like, Holy cow, I have three houses. Like, and guess what? Like, I have a million dollars in asset. We downplayed the fact that there's like, you know, $800,000, $900,000 in mortgages as well. But once I kind of, I guess, saw this million dollar asset number, I started thinking, like, what other factors are playing in here? And so I started calculating out my net worth. Um, I love numbers, they're easy for me, they make sense to me. And so I'm in Excel for hours on end thanks to the pandemic I had time to Mm -hmm. to hyper focus on that topic and what I kind of started to do was month over month I started tracking personally just in an excel file and then I started extrapolating out over the next couple of years and what I realized and and what I had in front of me as a result of this exercise was wait a minute, like I'm an, I'm actually in control here. Like if I tweak this strategy this much and adjust this part of my budget by that much, I will have, you know, however much more a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now and realizing one, that I had the opportunity to make choices and make changes was huge. And I think the second part of it really was that those changes didn't have to be massive, I didn't have to just keep buying houses, you know, I could sort out a way to, to shift $100 from this place in my budget to that place in my budget where here, it was, you know, making me either no money or very little money to this space where it was potentially, you know, passively working more for me, I guess, to a certain extent, moving to Greenville was kind of the trigger moment, but the, the big, I think, shift in my approach towards money really just had to do when I sat down and finally recognized the fact that one, I own this process, like it is all me and not only is it me, but I am capable, I am able. And, and the process of getting there is not as terrifying, you know, as, as it might actually seem particularly when you're,
1: you know, starting out. I love all of that. I think there's two things that I want to share that really resonate. It's the capacity to thrive, right? Like you're really speaking into the process and how it's possible and how it doesn't happen overnight. And it it was this journey, right? And it was this journey of kind of logical decisions that you made, and you did spend some time thinking about it. And now you're even spending more time thinking about it because it's exciting. It's kind of become this game and you can have dollars make more dollars for you. And so creating more of that game is really, can be really fun. There's a program that is called Wealthy Woman Project that I operate. And that's uh, kind of the journey we go through is really figuring out like, it's not that crazy to want something three years from now, five years from now, that a lot of people are talking about in retirement or, right. you know, some other distant, you know, and, and when you talk retirement or 20 years, 30 years out, it feels like it's not even possible at that point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why bother? But um, yeah, it's just so fun playing with like this notion of like becoming a wealthy woman. And that's actually an embodiment. It's not like a certain dollar amount that it happens at. So Once people, and it sounds like you're in the process of unlocking all of that, come to this like fruition that, wow, this is actually really easy and I can Mm -hmm. continue doing this and I can continue building and I'm maintaining my wealth and it's just continuing to um, grow and thrive and, and make more of what I've already created. There's so much possibility that continues to unfold with that. So I really appreciate you sharing in your words, your version of that. And another thing I just wanted to um, maybe support you in if you're not aware, but also forever who whoever's listening is there's a website called personalcapital.com. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of it?
0: I good. use it now. Good, <laughs> I still good. have my Excel file. Yeah, I'm, I'm stuck with it. But yeah, uh-huh. no, personal capital has been great just to kind of help me validate. It's, it's an auto update. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. easier just to kind of see things on a daily, weekly basis. I yep. still go to my sheet. Monthly, and just kind of because I like to see my progress, I think, in that space too. I
1: used to work at Personal Capital. I saw that, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a big fan. But the retirement planning tool is actually a lot more flexible for life planning, is what I would call it. So you can actually insert, like, let's say you have a goal to buy another home in two years, and then maybe another one three years later, or whatever that progression kind of looks like, all of that can be entered into. You know, what's labeled as their retirement planner, but it's basically kind of like your Excel file, the inputs and outputs, right? If I put this much in, what's the output of that? And it's all in this um, scenario based portfolio driven view so that you can see, okay, how do your assets change over time? How does your cash flow change over time? How does that affect, um, you know, time in life that that's happening, but then also identifying like if some of those assets are in, you know, investment accounts, how do those play out? Right, so it takes into consideration a lot of different factors. Because I used to do the Excel spreadsheet thing too. And then I found personal capital, like, okay, I don't even, I do like yeah. the Excel file. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's yeah. pleasurable, but for a lot of people, it's not. So <laughs> having a tool where you can kind of just plan out life and do scenarios where you can like look at plan A versus plan B and compare the two um, is super, super helpful. So I'm glad you're using that tool. It's phenomenal. I'll have to check out the retirement planner
0: piece. I'll be honest with you. I I do like the, (laughs) so because I'm a person who likes numbers and likes working with them, I mean, it sounds silly, but like Friday night, couple of hours, I can Mm -hmm. get lost in that Excel file. Um, It's probably why I'm still single at 35, which is totally fine. (laughs) fine. I find like passion and pleasure and and fulfillment in working with those numbers. But that said, I fully recognize the fact that not everybody feels that way about numbers. And so having tools like that, just even on like the net worth calculation side, you know, most people don't even know where to start. And when you don't know where to start, it is terrifying. And so tools and, you know, groups and, and all of those types of things that can help you find out what that like next or first baby step is really are, i think what's critical for long term yep. success with a lot of these changes so
1: one question i'm curious to hear your thoughts on because you've kind of dropped some awesome nuggets along the way <laughs> if, if there is one thing you would want to share with every woman in the world around something you figured out with money what would that be
0: i think and and it's probably not a popular opinion at all. But uh, I always like to say that I have a very non-standard, unusual relationship with debt and the idea of borrowing money. Um, You see in a lot of different groups, this, you know, don't borrow money at all, Um, you know, roll everything over and open a new credit card with a zero percent interest, you know, uh, intro period, those types of things. And without a doubt, our primary goal should be don't go into debt. And if you have to go into debt, minimize the the impact, minimize the interest. But I feel like to a certain extent, it has created a space for women where they're just kind of terrified of the concept of leveraging debt. And I think that that's the key word. Um, You know, big businesses take out massive loans to push their business into the next level, into the next phase. Why are we not encouraged to do that on our own? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when you're when you're looking at, you know, making that next step. Um, of course you want to make informed decisions. You want to have payback plans. You want to make sure that you are taking advantage of you know, all of the information in front of you to identify which of those options is your best. My two big rules with it are don't go into debt for everyday things because of course that is a unhealthy relationship with it. Um, and if you do go into debt for an unplanned expense or a large planned expense, figure out a way to pay it off quickly minimize that interest and stick to it right and you know what sometimes that planned debt is a vacation take it because again it's a non-standard non-conventional way to approach it but if you take the vacation with a plan to pay it off that's not going to have you eating you know cereal for breakfast lunch and dinner for the next 5 years mm-hmm. do it you know part of this journey is about getting yourself to the next level and sometimes that's about investing and by investing, it's not investing to get returns, it's investing to be able to leverage, well, to get financial returns. It's about investing. Um, and and leveraging debt to move yourself to the next level. Um, But sometimes part of growth is having fun too. And don't go crazy. Don't go spend $20,000 on a vacation. But you know, like if you want to spend $2,000, you know, on on a week to yourself at a spa retreat, like girl do it. And even if it means you just, you know, $200 a month for the next 10 months, guess what done? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's that simple of a way to approach it. And so I feel like that's, probably, um, I think from a, a number standpoint, the one piece of advice I, I would give, I think the other piece of it is just that, you know, we, we are, you are only as capable as you believe yourself to be. And so step back um, look at what's holding you back from a personal standpoint, um, you know, the thing with limiting beliefs is that you don't often create them. They're often developed, like as you grow up, um, and, you know, there are aspects of them that are great. So, you know, I like the Marie Kondo approach where you take a look at something, you appreciate it for the value and for what it brought into your life. But then you say, but I no longer need you. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to move into this next step. And so acknowledging those things, appreciating those things about ourselves, but leaving them behind us and most Importantly, I guess, in conjunction with that would be surround yourself with women who feel the same, who are going to encourage you, who are going to push you forward, who are going to say, you know, yes, ma'am, when you spend $2,000 on your credit card for a vacation for a week, because they know that that's just as important, not regularly encouraging something (laughs) like that. But yeah, that, that community, that support system, because one thing I've come to realize is that as a society, we don't talk enough to women about money and about finances. And so, you know, finding that space where you can speak freely um, is is also just as important.
1: It wasn't until 1960s that we could even have bank accounts and credit cards. And so it's just so important that we open up these, you know, kind of Pandora's boxes of how and what is possible and when. I love that you brought up the limiting beliefs because it's. (laughs) I've dealt with this with myself a lot lately as I'm Mm -hmm. pulling up all these fears about traveling the world and what that gets to look like. And Mm -hmm. I have so much uncertainty with that. And so it's really unearthing all of these limiting beliefs. And so it's so fun to have tools now and be aware of, oh, That's an interesting little limitation Mm -hmm. I've put on myself. And it really isn't until you can have that awareness and observation type of role where you step outside of yourself and are able to ask yourself really potent questions like, you know, where am I limiting myself? Where am I not seeing what's possible? How can I create more possibility and really starting to work through all those questions in each scenario as you kind of move through your days. Um, Another question I heard recently that I really liked is, who do you talk to about money and why? And who do you not talk to about money and why? And I thought that was really interesting. Like, who who do I not talk to about money? I can think of some people (laughs) Uh uh (laughs) because I am very expanded around money and they are not. So I just wouldn't bring up the topic of money. But for others, it might be, well, I only talk to my family about this and I don't talk to my friends about this or whatever that dialogue is. And like the why question is like, hmm, why is that? You know, why are we not having more mm-hmm. open conversations around money? And why are we not sharing more? Because the more we all share and, you and I kind of talked about it in the beginning, is like the vulnerability side of all of this is actually where our power lies in right, sharing right. more. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or experiences around that, but she has a love hate relationship with uh, this, the the
0: notion. um, But I talked to my mother about (laughs) everything, uh, but about finances as well. You know, she and I obviously have two very different upbringings uh, backgrounds. Sometimes she'll have to just say to me, I can't, I can't anymore, Erica, like you're making me so nervous. Like you're going to have to like, if, if, what if something goes wrong, you're going to be bankrupt. And yeah, I mean like, and She, she means that in a loving and supporting and, you know, what we, what we've learned to say is, or what she's learned to say is, okay, I'm overwhelmed. So I'm going to let you keep going because I trust you, but I can't hear this plan anymore. I know you've got it. (laughs) I, yeah, again, so I I talk to her about it a lot, mostly just because I value her opinion. We have this like active uh, mutual level of respect between the two of us that even though we may believe differently that we support each other and those beliefs I do because it's kind of my role in the family to say the things I'm not supposed to. I do tend to bring certain things up at different like family functions, you know, but as a child, I specifically remember one occasion where I asked, I think I'd asked my aunt, like how much money she made. And I think I was maybe like eight or nine yeah. and it was, you do not ask people those questions. Right. Yeah. Um, because that was, that was how society was, you know, that was yeah. how, you know, culturally the way that that people operated. I think one thing that you learn anytime you become passionate about anything is how to I think use the word nuggets. I think you just like drop nuggets and you see how the other person responds. And then you either stop the conversation or you dig in and, you know, you find someone new that, that you can can talk to those things about. Because um, it's still very much a transition, I think, not just around the notion that, you know, it's only been a couple of decades. where women had the ability to actively participate in their financial uh, planning, success, et cetera. But from a society standpoint, overall, outside of the kind of the female bubble, if you will, talking about money, it's just, it's not not something that's done. Um, You look at personal capital, you look at, I know it's not super popular, but you look at Robinhood, you look at all of these investment apps that have opened a world that was very closed off for a very long time. To everyone, and as we see those types of opportunities come up, the conversations take place, and you know we carry forward into the next stage of of whatever society decides to to take us into. So,
1: um, I would love to end on just anything that you're working on. I don't know if there's projects or passion projects or anything you're working on that you'd like to share with the women um, in this journey or. And also where people can connect with you. I'm very busy with my primary source of income, which is, which is important
0: because we have to keep things moving. Um, but, you know, from a personal standpoint, what I'm working on is what, what does 40 look like for me. Um, Because part of what kind of came out of my realization that I had the ability to play this active role is that in about four years, just before I do turn 40, um, I'll have the opportunity to walk away from work in the sense that I need it to prepare. I will still need a job to cover expenses, um, but I'll be in a position where I won't necessarily need you know, the heavy retirement playing, I won't need, um, you know, quite as much on that front, which is a first step towards, I guess that financial freedom concept. I don't fully subscribe to fire. Um, but I do, I do read articles on it. You know, again, I'm, I mean, I just told people to take vacation on their credit card. So clearly girl, clearly I'm not (laughs) (laughs) fully
1: aligned with fire (laughs) travel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of the most interesting things I've seen in the articles about fire is that these, is that people will aggressively save and severely limit, you know, what they have access to in their lives for X number of years to reach this goal, but they never actually ask themselves what they're going to do when they get there. And so they actually keep working. They work so hard for however long to reach this space, but then they don't know what it looks
1: like and they right. don't know what it Because they've never adventured. They've never right. experienced fun. It's like they've right. conditioned themselves to not have fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so part of what I'm trying to focus on now is like what that looks like, you know, does it look like travel? You know, it'll probably look like, you know, maybe some consulting just to kind of keep a continuous income stream. IT is a pretty easy space to do consulting work in, um, but also, you know, how can I pay this forward? Because the reality is I, I'm fortunate on so many fronts. I, I've certainly, I feel like maybe this sounds uh, bad, but I feel like I've earned my space. It's, it's not one that's necessarily been given to me and one that's given isn't not necessarily earned either. Yeah. I've earned my space, but it, it, part of that's also just because I've been lucky. You know, I'm I'm lucky that numbers make sense to me. I'm lucky that I've had a family who've supported me through this process. I'm lucky that you know during one of the worst. You know, times from a job market standpoint, I was able to get a job that led me, you know, to a, a long-term career. And so, you know, part of what I'm also focused on is how I maybe not through monetization, but find a way to to pay those types of um, advantages that that I've been able to to, to take advantage of, or opportunities yeah. I've been able to take advantage of, and how do I carry those forward? Primarily to, to other women, um, you know, that's, that's just kind of the, the truth around it. I've looked into maybe getting certified to do mortgage lending, not so much because I want to process loans, but I feel like the more information I have on that space, the more I'm able to enable and empower and encourage, you know, someone who thinks they'll never own a house you know, to be able to do stuff like that. And so, um, so a lot of, a lot of thinking, a lot of ruminating, a lot of, you know, thoughts around, you know, what that process looks like. um, Because I Certainly, I do work very hard. And I certainly don't want to get there and then just not have a plan and, and keep doing what I'm doing. So it feels a little selfish now to, to be so focused on like me and, and where I need to be. Um, but uh, as they say, put your mask on first, mm-hmm. get yourself there. And mm-hmm. once you're there, you're, you're able to help sure, many more right. people than, yeah. than, than you might have initially been able to Um, while putting yours on at the same time.
1: So, yeah. Where can people find you? So
0: I I have a little bit of a, I've started, I guess, a company. (laughs) Not -hmm. officially, not legally. Um, It's called Investing Inward. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of takes the idea that, you know, investments, not just, about finances. It's also about investing in ourselves, mm-hmm. um, yes. what we believe in, what we, you know, ascribe to, you know, those types of things. Um, and so, uh, I don't have a website, <laughs> um, or it's, it's in, under construction. So if you go and it's horrible, I apologize, but, um, you can reach me at admin at investing That's probably the easiest way, uh, at least
1: for now. And, uh, Come yeah. On that's exciting. Do you have an Instagram or anything set up
0: for yet? I, so I have Instagram. I, I did the whole Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I think I have uh TikTok as well. I have the domain. So I did the whole setup process, but nice. I'm not actively contributing to any of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's just Work not in, in that progress. space where, where all good. um, but it is all, uh, investing inward. So mm-hmm. I was able to, to find something that was that fit and was identical across
1: all the platforms. And so
0: yes.
1: when it's ready, I'll be sure to let you know. Well, yes, please do. I would love to have you back on to share as you, as that journey unfolds too. So of course, be fabulous. Of course. Cool. So, great. Thank you so much, Erica. You're welcome.